from Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And this is the Vine Bear Podcast. And Zach, I mean, we're, we're, we're at the end. It's, oh, my it's, God. I mean, like this last podcast of 20 motherfucking 20. Yeah, I look forward to never saying the numbers 20 and 20 consecutively again, except as regards my vision. Is is twenty twenty still on the air? You know, like the the Barbara. This is twenty twenty because I feel like at this oh, point, I like, don't gotta know. get canceled. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. You know, no one wants anything to do with twenty twenty. Also, I don't know if you saw this amazing ad that was put up by I think the the Mental Health Association or whatever today. There was literally just like fuck twenty twenty, and it's just like all these people saying fuck twenty twenty over Ugh. and over and over again. Yeah, <laughs> just like yeah. fuck twenty twenty. So yes, I feel that way. I'm sorry if you're really offended that I'm that I curse, but fuck twenty twenty. <laughs> Have you ever listened to this podcast before? <laughs> I know, seriously. But before we get into everything, a word from our sponsor of the last podcast of 2020, Tequila Ocho. Tequila Ocho is the world's first single estate tequila, growing and harvesting only the very ripest agaves from their family-owned fields in the highlands of Jalisco, one field harvested for each of their annual vintages. Where some take shortcuts, Ocho is made in the old-fashioned way and takes care to ensure maximum agave flavor in your glass. Every expression is certified 100% additive-free, underlining the purity and nobility of this magical tequila. And it is magical. As you've all who've listened to the past few episodes, thank you so much, Tequila Ocho, for sponsoring. Yeah, man. Uh, I definitely will drink some tequila in, in the next week or so. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I plan to drink a little bit you know, on New Year's Eve. But I think you know, I'm, I'm curious, not, not only what you're drinking now, but since this is the last episode of the year, what you drank in this past week, I'd also love to know what you are what you're planning to drink for New Year's Eve. But uh, but first, like, what have you drunk uh, up until now? Well, I think the two most exciting things that I've had recently, um, one was I uh, taught a fortified wine class this past week. And the, the plus and the minus to teaching a class like that is there's always leftovers for me. And the cool thing about <laughs> fortifieds is like they they last, right? So it's not like typically for me when I teach a class where it's like that night or the next night, uh, my wife and I kind of have to drink what we're going to drink or just kind of give it up. And with uh, fortifieds, like you have much more leeway depending on, of course, what you have. And so to me, the big the big thing that I have, I guess, rediscovered because I'm sure I've had it in the past is I made a sort of white Negroni. Cause, so one of the things that I, I poured for this class was a Manzanilla Sherry. And so this uh, white Negroni was uh, a men, uh, equal parts, obviously, of gin, Manzanilla Sherry and uh, like a white vermouth. And it is fucking delicious like what's cool about it to me is like whereas the classic negroni kind of goes in that you know pretty bitter and sort of citrusy orangey realm and the dark negroni which i also really like which uses amaro tends to get that kind of you know even more bitter earthy kind of nutty quality this white negroni is like the the dominant flavor besides sort of this the standard gin flavors is Mm -hmm. like kind of salty briny it's fun it's like a little nutty as well, but not in the way that like a, a, a Maro based nuttiness would come through like more kind of almond skin. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then the other thing that I had was um, some Madeira. Cause I was also part of the class, uh, some 10 year old wall, which I just, Madeira is like, even I who love it, don't drink it very often. Cause like yeah. how often do I really want Madeira? But it is one of those things where like the, everything about it from like the crazy, like growing conditions on the island of Madeira to the history is like very cool and I enjoy it. And I hope that Madeira sales 
continue to exist so that people will keep making it because I would be kind of sad if they didn't. Yeah. What about you? What have you what have you been into? And then I'll come back. You tell me what you've been drinking and then I'll tell you what I got planned for New Year's Eve. Sure. First, I do want you to send me that white Negroni recipe. I will. I will. Um, Maybe I'm we'll post curious. it on the website. Yeah, I'm very curious, man, because like maybe I'll try to make that in the next few days. Um, so, uh, gosh, what have I been drinking? So, I have been doing this thing where I took a detox for the last uh-huh. few days. Um, you know, just getting ready for like the the, the push for the next week. Um, <laughs> so, I, I definitely have not been drinking actually. Um, but prior to that, and I guess you are everyone's listening to this uh, post like the Christmas holiday. So, um, I do plan to drink a few nice things. We're recording this obviously the Wednesday before. I do plan to drink a, a, a few nice things there, but that's not what you asked me. You asked me what I've been drinking. So um, what have I been drinking? Um, you know, actually, I had this really fun thing where my wife and I on Saturday night basically recreated like uh, our, our our version of like going out for Mexican food. And we I made a bunch of different Mexican food. And then um, we had a, a margarita tasting. So I oh, made, nice. I made uh, three different margaritas with different tequilas and different ingredients. And that was really fun. Almost like, you know, you would be on a menu and I'm really extra. So therefore probably a little bit more than most people do, but that yeah. was, that was super fun. Um, and then on, uh, on Sunday, actually, I met up with, a with a friend whose birthday it was, and we, we did some, some freezing cold outdoor dining, but uh, we, we went outside to split basically a bottle of wine and have some some light bites. And I had this really cool orange wine from Suave. Oh, interesting. Made made with Garganaga. It was weird. From I'm gonna I'm gonna totally butcher the the winery's name, but it was Angiolino Maule, I think, or okay. Mao. Um, and it was Sasaya was the was the wine, and it was amazing, and it, it was perfect because like. We had the the person whose birthday it was. She's really just a white wine drinker. Um, but then, you know, it was cold and we were looking for something that, that had some body to it and that could really stand up to some of the different like light bites we were getting. And so I saw there were some orange wines on the list. I talked to the guy that owned the restaurant. Um, there's actually uh, is this just really cute uh, pasta restaurant in Fort Greene. Um, and so like we basically, uh, you know, we're talking to him for a while and he was like, look, like this producer is, is really great. Like they're not, um, they're not really well known. And so I was like, okay, well, I trust you. You're Lorena Pacifico. Like you have amazing wines uh, and you, delicious food. Like let's do it. And it was really, really great. And so awesome. I don't know. And like, again, like who knew that they were making orange wine in Suave? I sure didn't, but that's super exciting. I, yeah. I, I'll have to, to see one of these days if I can check that out. That would be probably cool. Some, probably some fucking hipster. Anyways, uh, so, so what are you drinking on New Year's Eve? Well, you know, so you know, typically New Year's Eve is like this weird combination of things for me because New Year's Eve is uh, obviously like typically in the restaurant one of our busiest nights. Yeah. And last year, I was just thinking about this the other day. Last year I was sort of preparing for like a very busy dinner service and we were – I was opening some like – large format older wines that we had is that we'd been sitting on for quite some time and has kind of built this whole menu and i was like and this year my new year's eve is going to be you know me and my wife and my son and honestly i might not even make it to midnight because i don't really care to but it's also complicated because new year's eve is also my birthday and so um we will be still probably not doing very much um i think we're gonna invite if the weather isn't terrible um a few friends and family to kind of like stand in our driveway at a safe distance and like have a glass with us in the afternoon. That's nice. 
but yeah, I, I, it's probably, I don't know that I don't, you know, I, I honestly haven't exactly figured out what I'm going to make for dinner, which will go a long way to determining, but I'm sure that there will be sparkling wine knowing my wife and I, and, uh, I'm also a little bit on the fence about, I think I might make some eggnog. Um, I've been telling my wife that I will make it for, uh, frankly, like years. Um, and I, this might be the year to do it because, uh, what the hell else am I going to do with my time? Uh, but, uh, make and drink eggnog. If you're going to make the eggnog, you should follow the Aaron Goldfarb model and you should make it tomorrow and you should age it. Yeah, I've been thinking that. Well, I was like, well, maybe I'll make enough that I can age a little bit of it in the uh, in the back of the fridge and come back to it in three or six months. Because, yeah, we had a conversation about that. What feels like a lifetime ago, but yeah. maybe like the beginning, maybe like this time last year. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like a huge proponent of it. And I mean, like, I think it really does work. I mean, he he did talk about it in the New York Times. I do think that like it's a it's a really interesting um you know, idea that like the eggnog gets better as it sits and all that stuff. I mean, I don't, so for me, obviously, yeah, I'm going to drink sparkling wine, um, at least one or two bottles. I have a few that I have sort of set, set aside one being, um, a bottle of Blanc de Blanc Pierre Peters that I'm really excited about. Nice. Always a good one. Always a good one. Right. Um, but then I, uh, I don't know. I mean, like I'm trying to figure it out. So we decided what we're going to do this year, which is different than years before is, uh, Naomi and I, in order to try to help support restaurants are going to order in. Um, okay. so normally I always cook New Year's Eve, right? Like I, okay. it's too crazy for me to go out to restaurants. I mean, as someone who does not work in the industry now, but like knows the industry well, it's not a night that I want to be there. It's like, it's just, as, as you said, it's insane. Um, so I've always cooked, but this year we're going to order in. I'm trying to figure out from where and what to do. And so I haven't really thought a lot more about what I'm going to drink because I really haven't figured out what I'm going to eat. Um, but I definitely know we're going to order in. So we'll figure that out. I mean, obviously, there's like some insane things happening in New York. Like, you know, I think 11 Madison Park's like doing a duck dinner that's like $450 per person <laughs> that you can order in. Yeah, definitely I think I not, about that. Yeah, definitely not doing that. Um, but I'm trying to see about, you know, obviously, I would like to also like to support restaurants in my area. So sort of waiting to see what places like Olmstead and things like that are doing um, and Vinegar Hill House and whatever. So we'll see. And then I'll figure out um, what I drink. But uh, we got to have something really fun before we get into the year in review conversation, Zach. And that is, so for those that listen to the podcast, you may be aware that we launched VP Pro. And VP Pro is the email newsletter that is specifically designed for people in the trade, whether you work on the you know producer side or you work on the server side, right? So you're you're on the floor, you're a bartender, you're a SOM, you're a server, you're an owner, or you are someone who is you know, a maker, right? So you're a producer, you're an executive, whatever. VP Pro covers the gamut of basically the business of alcohol. Um, and we've launched this, this really cool newsletter along with all the content that's the VP Pro newsletter you can sign up for. Just go to VP Pro on VinePair to sign up. And if you refer, I think it is three friends and they also sign up, then you can ask a question that we'll answer on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So we have a question uh, right now from Liz Barrett, who is a CSW, and she asks us this, Zach, um, why do you think tequila sales are on fuego right now compared to sales increases for other spirits? Well, is and uh, everyone else. I think this is this is a question that will actually kind of feed us nicely into the rest of the conversation uh, about the year in review. But I think one thing that we definitely have seen um, from the early days of the pandemic through, I think, still till now, is that while people have sort of shifted a lot of their consumption home, um, obviously, necessarily, uh, they've done so in sort of piecemeal ways. And one of the things I think we've seen uh, in the early days of COVID and through till now is uh, people being 
kind of stocking up on and going back to things that they're relatively comfortable with. And, you know, we discussed in a podcast a couple of weeks ago um, with um, uh, Jesse Estes about the sort of familiarity that people in this country have with tequila that, that, you know, most everyone in the U.S. has experiences with tequila, you know, certainly early in their legal drinking age, if not before. And I think it makes total sense. I think the biggest part of it is it's it has two components that people love. It's familiar, but it also feels a little bit like a vacation. I mean, you yourself, Adam, were just talking about making three different margaritas at home yep. on a, what I'm imagining was a cold ass December evening. And like, that is the kind of thing that tequila can do for you that, that a lot of other spirits can't do. They, it can, it can help kind of provide that transportation. And the margarita in particular is, a familiar drink to almost everyone mm-hmm. and not super difficult to recreate at home. And that gives it a, a leg up on some other of its kind of brethren in the spirits field. I don't know. Do you have other thoughts beyond that? I mean, I do think tequila in a lot of ways is, you know, it, it has gotten past its, um, you know, reputation as being like that cheap shit you drank, you know, in college. Um, there's so many high quality tequilas on the market now. Um, and I think whether this is correct or not, there is a perception of a health halo there that um, it is a better spirit for you than other spirits, that it's cleaner, uh, that it is less likely to give you a hangover. I will be you know, the first to tell you that, I mean, for me personally, tequila does give me a hangover less than other spirits. I don't know why. I mean, maybe I just drink less of it when I do drink it. But like for the most part, if I am out drinking tequila and get a little tipsy, I don't feel that terrible the next day. Whereas if I drink a lot of heavy brown spirits, I do. I tend to though drink Blancos and Reposados when I drink tequila. I'm not a heavy, like let's drink the Añejos. I'm maybe if I was dealing with that, I'd have the same impact. Right. Um, again, this isn't an endorsement that I think tequila is healthier, but I do think that there is that perception in the market. And I think then the one thing that's really true that you nailed is the vacation of the glass. I think that is 100% what is fueling a lot of this. It's this idea that it is just, it reminds you of a place that is beautiful and warm and that has a delicious cuisine and that is just completely different than what you're experiencing now. And I think, you know, tequila is very much, you know, primed to be a massive spirit for a very long time in the US. I don't think it will anytime soon overtake, you know, whiskey and whatever, but but I who knows, you know, like it's it still is to be that still is to be determined for sure. I think that you know there's just so many people that love this spirit. So hopefully that answers your question, Liz. I want to add one last thing, which you yeah. kind of touched on, but I think is is relevant again to the upcoming conversation, and that is you're right that there is a, a now in the marketplace in the last few years there are recognizable and identifiable premium and ultra premium or whatever brands for people, and one of the trends of 2020 for sure was premium premiumization. God, that word is hard to say. And tequila was, whereas maybe uh, five or 10 years ago, it was hard to find for most people premium tequilas, especially at their grocery store or, or local liquor shop or whatever. Now there are many of them. Often they're associated with celebrities, but even the ones that are not are more recognizable to people. And therefore, for the person who in March or April was like, let me just get you know my cheap everyday tequila. And then in June, July was like, or August was like, you know what? I want to step up. Tequila was better positioned to do that in 2020 than it had been in previous years. And so I think that's the other piece of it that, that's relevant here. Agreed. So, all right, man, let's let's get into this year in review. Next week, obviously, for those listening, we're going to do our predictions for uh, for 2021. Oh, I feel so much better to say that date than 2020. <laughs> but fuck you, 2020. It's time to talk about you shit year. So year in review, I think the biggest thing to kick off with is is the perfect story to talk about, which is, which is at-home bartending. Um, I think it's 
you know, no one expected this to be to happen this year, right? No one expected COVID. I think uh, in, in our conversation, COVID is going to sort of be in the background the whole time. I don't think none, none of us need to do a COVID recap segment in this conversation, right? I'm like, holy shit, COVID. Um, but I do think that it, you know, it changed a lot of behaviors. And one of the biggest things that changed was at home drinking and especially at home cocktail making. Um, and you, one only needs to look at the expand, exploding sale of vermouth to realize that as the proxy to realize that people are drinking and making cocktails at home a lot more. But what has really been interesting when we look at the VinePair Insights data is that while vermouth has exploded and not just in sales, right? I'm talking about traffic to VinePair site where people are reading about, you know, vermouth content, are trying to learn about vermouth, are looking for the cocktails you would make that include vermouth, Right. That if you look at the traffic to our cocktail library, which is up, you know, by hundreds of percentage points uh, in COVID, the top cocktails, right, are all two that people are reading, right? So not, I'm not saying the top cocktails just like that we posted, but the top cocktails gain traffic are all cocktails that have two, three, or four ingredients, right? So at-home mixology is booming, but still for the simple classic cocktails, right? The old fashions, the Manhattans, the martinis, these are all in top in the top 10, by the way, the martinis, the daiquiris, right? Lime juice, simple rum, uh, you know, vermouth, uh, gin, right? Like vermouth, Angostura bitters, rye, right? Like that's what people are looking for. Uh, so while I think that at home mixology is going to continue post uh, shitty 2020, and probably has caused a lot of people to realize they can make really good drinks at home. I do still think that doesn't mean that they won't go out for the more, uh, you know, complex drinks, right? The drinks like no one made tiki at home this year, right? Well, maybe <laughs> some people did, but most like like but most people didn't, right? Yeah. No one, uh, no one made their own bitters, or again, maybe some, but not most people. And then also their own flavored syrups and all this stuff to create, you know, crazy concoctions. There's not a ton of people smoking cocktails, right? Like, so I think all of that, that's still really the height of, of high-end bartending will be what people go out for. But I wouldn't be surprised if people are now comparing the Negroni they have out to the one they make at home. Yeah, or the Manhattan out to when they make it home, which is going to be different, right? And and is going to also make sure that everyone, when we go back to bars, ups their game. So, yeah. but but I think that that trend has been amazing to watch over over the last you know year. I mean, and who and no one expected it to come for sure, for sure. And I and I think we, you and I will touch on this next week when we do predictions for twenty twenty one. So I'm going to try and be backwards looking for now, but know that yes, that I, I agree with you, and, and we'll I have some more thoughts, but. But as far as connecting to the at-home bartending in a way and that dichotomy between what people were comfortable making at home um, and, and, and sort of being tethered still to the classics, I think one piece that was fascinating about this year was really the um, proliferation, mostly due to necessity, of to-go and delivery cocktails as Absolutely. well as the continued growth in ready-to-drinks. And so I think both of those categories were huge. Uh, I mean, I think RTDs we probably could have seen coming in that like everything in a can has been getting more popular and understandably and fit even in a pre-COVID lifestyle. People wanted to be able to do things outside. Mm -hmm. But the kind of combination of obviously 
mass closures of bars or at least great limitations on them for much of the year. And the fact that lots of people wanted to be able to enjoy these these great cocktails that even if they felt confident making uh, a daiquiri or a Manhattan at home, they didn't feel comfortable, as you said, with tiki or with elaborate ingredients or with, you know, tinctures and and uh, infused spirits and and uh, syrups and the like. And so I think that, you know, what'll be what is what is really cool about this is I think you've really seen a lot of iterations in the last nine months on what can be done technologically, how to preserve cocktails, how to distribute them, whether on a small scale local level or a broader level. And I think that we're going to see a lot of um, really amazing sort of product that was in one way or another born this year, you know, whether again, out of necessity or not. And I think the other piece of it that's really exciting to think about is, you know, one of the hardest things about talking about cocktails um, for like, even for you and me is, you know, you're in New York, I'm in Seattle and you can tell me till your face is blue about a great drink you had. But the honest truth is, unless I go to New York, typically I can't have it and, you know, be happy to fly out there when it's safe and have the drink. But you know, the, the thing that could be really exciting about this is there could be a little bit more of really great cocktails, even Bars, you know, we've talked about in the past, cocktail bars, you know, looking to expand their business beyond what they, the capacity they have in person on a given night. And I think as people get more comfortable with takeout and, de- and delivery cocktails, packaged cocktails, and potentially as laws continue to change or remain loosened, even once sort of COVID restrictions are, are taken off, hopefully, I, I would be super excited to find out that in a year or two, we're talking about, hey, you know, I can get great cocktails from a cocktail bar in New York delivered to me in Seattle. I mean, I don't think that is a pipe dream. I don't know quite when that will happen. Again, that's more the prediction side of it. But I think that iteration and innovation in the cocktail spaces was a huge part of 2020. I, I, I 100% agree. I think the like, so, you know, I think you hear people talking about them in two different ways, right? Ready to drink and ready to serve. Um, I think both are going to be huge. Ready to drink, obviously, is sort of what people are saying when they're for those listening, when we're talking about things out of a can, right? So literally ready to drink, ready to serve as these these larger formats. I think, Zach, you're also talking about, which is like in like a cocktail that comes in basically a 750, right? And you can put it in the fridge and you pour it over ice. You can have it for a dinner party. You can, it serves, you know, six, eight people. I think watching, you know, um, places like St. Agrestis go into box has been really interesting. I mean, like, the fact that I can tell you, Zach, that the San Agrestis Negroni is delicious and that you could go online right now and order it and it will be delivered to you in Seattle, um, you know, is is really cool. Um, and yeah, we can have these shared experiences. And I think that goes back then to where I think the opportunity truly will be, which is we now know if we combine the two ideas. And again, this is more of a prediction, but um, I wasn't going to include it in next episode, so it's fine. Uh, if we include the fact that like most people are making simple cocktails at home, and there's this opportunity to make the more complex cocktails and put them in bottle and then send them out. Boom. I think that that like becomes really interesting for people. Right. And um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just been, it's been a really crazy phenomenon. All right. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit and, and talk about some p- a piece of this that I think connects, but is broader than just spirits or cocktails. And that's just the incredible explosion of direct to consumer everything. Yep. Um, and I think that, you know, again, this is a situation where fuck you 2020, but I think if we're looking for silver linings, I think one of them could potentially be that this could be the year that really kind of finally breaks the, some of the, the log jam that's been holding back more direct to consumer sales. Some of it is just by necessity. People have gotten familiar with ordering everything online, getting everything shipped to their door. Some of it is, you know, the, the, 
you know, sort of same side of the coin or the other side of the coin, which is a lot of businesses, whether they're wineries, breweries, distilleries, whatever, have cocktail bars, et cetera, have learned that if you can't deliver something to someone's door, your business might not exist. And mm-hmm. certainly during a pandemic, but frankly, moving forward in general, people have gotten used to the ease and the just the comfort of it. And I don't think that's going to change either. And I think the last uh, piece of it is that, you know, there's there's an ongoing fight, like everything seemingly, for a sense of, I guess, equal access to the consumer market for larger and smaller players. And a thing that I've been really heartened by is that you've seen a lot of different people, whether they're in beer, wine, spirits, or all of the above, trying to develop platforms that that connect um, smaller producers to consumers in ways that, that at least from my perspective, and obviously I haven't, I'm not one of, I'm not a producer, so I don't know, but from talking to a few of them and talking to some of these people who, who have developed these platforms or are working on them, they do seem to be kind of centered around providing a service in a way that isn't as exploit exploitative as like we found Grubhub and DoorDash and mm-hmm. you know, Uber Eats to be, and that that would be a, a boon to the industry at all levels. Yeah, man, I think this is the year when we realize it's it's it, the producers need to have a more close relationship with their cust- with their with their end consumer, right? Like, it's the time when we realize that like you can't trust or re- not trust, you can't rely on the you know the person at the restaurant to be that um, that ambassador for you. Like, it really isn't like if you can now make a sale to them directly, you can have that relationship, you can own that relationship, you can reinforce that relationship. And I think that's been really cool, and that's going to continue. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of brands we don't even know about yet that are going to be born in the next few years, uh, purely as direct to consumer brands, at least to start. Right? You may not even you may not even see them ever go into a wine shop or a restaurant first. Um, and then once they have a market share, they go right. House is a perfect example of, of one of those. And obviously, people who listen to podcasts this year heard that interview. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of them. So yeah, man. I mean, I think look, like taking it a, in, in a little bit of a twist, but we talked about this. Uh, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things to think about this year is just sort of prior to COVID. You know, the tariffs. Um, yeah. You know, and just what sort of happened with them. Obviously, a lot of them are still there. We'll see what happens within the new administration um, and whether these tariffs stay or go away. Um, but, you know, we cannot deny that on top of COVID, there was this other just, you know, really, really shitty thing that happened to the wine industry uh, and this and the spirits industry with with these tariffs really hitting the market pretty hard um and there's a lot of people out there that are that are you know in a lot of pain because of them and they fucking sucked yeah well and it's one of those things where you think about like everyone was going to take well mo- not everyone a lot of people were going to take a beating this year because of covid and if you were a business who relied on importing and distributing especially kind of more niche European wine and spirits, you probably were selling most of those niche European wine and spirits to restaurants and bars. And you were probably not selling a lot of them to grocery stores and and wine shops and liquor shops, maybe some wine shops for sure. And those are the kinds of businesses that obviously have just been, you know, cataclysmically affected by COVID. And you combine that with the added reality that you probably took on additional costs, you know, you probably offset some of the costs of the tariffs uh, on your on your end, if you're the distributor or the mm-hmm. importer. And, you know, you, but even so you had to potentially pass them along to a much smaller potential audience. Like, yeah, it was, it would have been bad had COVID never happened. Like we would have been talking about this at the end of the year and been like, man, this is really bad for the industry. It obviously got 
you know, um, eclipsed by a much bigger catastrophe. But I agree. Like, I, I hope that the that once, especially things on a co- on the COVID front, are returning a little bit to normal. And yes, once hopefully, you know, we have a new administration that isn't sort of as obsessed with these. I think deeply counterproductive tariffs. We may see some relief relatively soon, but but it is something that we all, as a part of the industry and, and as consumers too, need to be aware of and, and push on um, soon because it's it it's not helping. It's hurting, and even if it's not as visible as the big, big, big issue facing um, the restaurant and wine industry right now, it's still an issue for sure. One hundred percent. So uh, let's let's keep with wine and talk about the other like big thing that happened this year, which is. The quartermaster sommelier scandal. Oh my god! Yeah, boy, um, scandals. Actually, I think it's fair to say. Because yeah, true, true. Easily, true. easily forgotten in light of the horrific um, sort of uh, news that broke about the widespread uh, sexual predation and assault throughout the court, and things that were both um, committed by master sommeliers and, and to a larger extent, let's say. Uh, not maybe not covered up, but certainly not investigated fully or, mm-hmm. or treated seriously. But there was also a big crisis in the community about uh, a total lack of response to the Black Lives Matter movement and yep. a, a real rift in the sort of, especially the previous board of directors and the sort of leadership of the Court of Master Sommeliers, which was almost entirely older white men. And the membership, which is more and more, or at least the aspiring uh, Master Sommeliers and whatnot, candidates who are certainly still there's still plenty of white men in there but they're not typically this you know they're younger uh and also joined by a cohort of of women and um people of all sorts of um racial and ethnic backgrounds and it is it was a it was a really 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 um damning set of crises and i think has shaken a lot of confidence i mean you know we're in this weird holding pattern in the industry in the profession of the sommelier where so much of the work that people do is just not possible right now so right. so no nothing has really changed as of yet as far as i can tell and i'm you know relatively plugged into that community but but i think that you know it's going to be a much bigger it's going to continue to be an issue the tensions are still there the frustrations are still there the new board of directors i think will be given a chance to make substantive changes. And we are again in this period where it's hard to do anything because obviously there's no one's doing exams or anything now, you know, there's no way to do that safely. And so it is very difficult to, to get a handle on whether things have changed and will change, but yeah, it is, it is a, it is a, 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 something to monitor and something that was big this year and coupled again with just a sort of broader issue facing the profession of, you know, the question of whether sommeliers are, have kind of, you know, outlived their usefulness in a, in a restaurant industry that's going to be very different. And we'll talk next week about that. But but yeah, it's, it's it definitely was a rough year for the quartermaster sommeliers. Totally, man. What else you got? I think the, the last thing that I just kind of wanted to throw out there as a sort of end of, of the year uh, wrap up was for us personally, for I think for you and for me in this podcast is, you know, one of the things that happened in in 2020 as in, as a result of the COVID crisis is I think, you know, we did a, I think, and not to be too self-congratulatory, but we spent a lot of this year talking to a lot of people throughout every part of the beverage alcohol industry, whether they were the CEOs of major corporations or the owners of tiny cocktail bars. And, um, you know, 
I don't think I've ever felt as aware of what is going on throughout all of the industry uh, and, you know, beer, wine, spirits, et cetera, um, as I do now. And I think it's really, I mean, again, I don't want to toot our own horns too much. You all can uh, tell us if you agree or disagree. <laughs> but like, I do think like it's been a remarkable year for for covering this industry uh, in the way that we do. Uh, and obviously, you know, in print uh, at Vinepair or as well as on the podcast. But, uh, you know, I, I hope, uh, you know, for you, Adam, it's been uh, it's been it's felt that way. And, and for listeners, of course, that you you feel like this coverage has has helped uh, open your eyes, shine light places that you might not have been aware of or or brought some attention to something that you yourself are doing or are passionate about. And, and I think it's our intention very much to to continue to do this uh, into the foreseeable future. 100%. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've hopefully, the, you know, everyone who listens has found value in this. We definitely have. And we, we can, we plan to do this moving forward to, to keep talking to people and understanding what's happening in the industry. I think, you know, we've, we've got still a long road ahead of us and there's some exciting things coming obviously with 2021. And I, I can feel energy, which is really interesting. These last few days of people who, you know, are watching people get the vaccine and, and are, are excited for what potentially, might come in June, July, August of next year when hopefully we have a, a large majority of the country vaccinated. But, you know, we're going to be there the whole time. Um, and we want to talk to interesting people. If you're some of those people, please reach out to us. If you have ideas of who we should talk to, please reach out to us. Um, you know, podcast at vinepair.com. And again, Zach, before we go, uh, you put together this amazing package that I can't wait to share with listeners. Uh, and that is that we asked all of our uh, employees at Vinepair if they wanted to, to submit us an audio recording of the best things they drank this year. And I'm really excited to share it because they drank some delicious stuff. Uh, and you, um, if you're a listener of the podcast and also a reader of the site, you may not get to hear a lot of these people's voices that often. So it's really great for you to get to know some of these people that really helped make Vinepair sing and have been responsible for Vinepair's amazing growth uh, over the course of its history, but especially this year. And, and I've been people that, you know, I've just come to really love and respect who, who work at the publication. So with that, Zach, like, let's play the package. Let's do it. Hi, my name is Tim McCurdy. I'm a staff writer at Vinepair. And looking back over the last 12 months, uh, I realized it's kind of impossible to pick the best bottle that I tried but I'd like to share the most memorable drinking experience I had this year. Um, and that came from the Glendronic Kingsman edition. Uh, this is a single malt Highland Scotch uh, distilled in 1989. And I realized shortly before trying it, that the bottle, the, the whiskey had actually been distilled three days after I was born. So kind of sitting down with something that had been on this planet for almost exactly the same time as I had. I found that to be a very profound experience from a kind of more technical point of view. Uh, it had depth and complexity, but also still great youth. Uh, I'd like to say the same thing about myself right now. But um, yeah, this was a, a wonderful whiskey and one that I will no doubt remember for years to come. Hi, I'm Nicole, and I'm an editorial intern at Vine Pair. One of my favorite drinks of 2020 was a 2018 Viognier from an Okanagan Valley winery called Ex Nihilo. I had it back in February, and it stayed with me as one of my favorite white wines of the year. I enjoyed it mostly because I've never tasted anything remotely similar from another British Colombian producer. Most whites from the area are fruit-forward with high acid, but this Viognier was aged five months on lease with sweet floral aromatics and ripe stone fruit flavors. It was luxurious, elegant, and so delicious. 
Hey guys, Keith Beavers, uh, Tastings Director of Vine Pair and the Wine 101 Podcast, dude. What's up? A favorite thing that I've drank this year. I would say the entire top 50 list of uh, Vine Pair. <laughs> okay, I can only pick one, right? Fine, 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 fine. Uh, fine. Paso Robles. That region just blew my mind this year. It was new to me. Never really dived into it. Dove into it? Anyway, Denner Vineyards Dirt Worshipper. Oh me. Oh my. This wine is awesome. It's mainly Syrah with a white wine grape called Roussan blended in. And it's smooth and it's earthy and it's spicy and it's herbaceous and it's powerful and it's... It's got dark fruit, but got great acidity. It is just a very unique wine for California and a really good representation of the awesomeness going on in Path of Robles. Hi, I'm Katie, Vine Pairs Editorial Associate. Uh, my favorite drink of 2020 has definitely been the Bloody Mary. During the early days of the pandemic, I was making them for my pod basically every weekend. At this point, I've definitely perfected my recipe. I think the Bloody Mary is a drink that's often pigeonholed as a brunch or a breakfast cocktail, but I'm a huge proponent of making them and drinking them any time of day, even with dinner. Um, and when I look back on the early days of the pandemic, when things were so uncertain and kind of scary, I think making and sharing Bloody Marys with my roommates was a high point for me and something that definitely took my mind off of COVID. Hey, I'm Josh. I'm one of the co-founders of Vine Pair, and my two favorite bottles from 2020 were both for cocktails, uh, Plantation Three Star for making daiquiris, and Fortaleza Blanco for making Tommy's margaritas. Um, Just fresh, delicious cocktails that were easy to make and really enjoyed them all summer long, starting on July 4th through uh, Labor Day. Hey everyone, this is Jenny Riddell. I am Director of Brand Partnerships and Events at VinePair. And this year I started discovering sour beers. One of my favorites is Grimm's Sabro Pop, pop style sour. It's fruity, light, and refreshing. And not to mention the can has a fun, colorful design, which perfectly complements this delightful beer. Grimm is a Brooklyn-based brewery, so I'll definitely be on the lookout for more of their releases in 2021. Hi, my name is Courtney. I was an intern at Vine Pear. My favorite drink of 2020 is ranch water. Um, It's my favorite just because of how easy it is to make and how light and refreshing it is, especially on like a hot summer day. And there's pretty much never a time where I don't have the ingredients already on my bar. They're just such simple ingredients that I pretty much always have them readily available. Hello, my name is Gary Solian, and I'm a Finance Junior Designer at Vine Pair. One of my favorite drinks that I had this year was actually a cocktail that I made at home. The funny thing is that when I was trying, I was trying to make a margarita in the first place, but I ended up adding and changing stuff that is not really a margarita anymore. I started out with the Casadores tequila and then a passion fruit syrup and then a grapefruit flavoring uh, that's like a powder that my roommate had and we just decided to add it in. And then after that, I top it out with a seltzer and then use it as a mixer. The reason why I love this was uh, everything mixed together so well and it tasted amazing, but then it will definitely get you through the night. Hi, I'm Danielle and I'm the art director at Vine Pear. One of the best drinks I had this year was actually before quarantine. My boyfriend and I were at Scarpetta for dinner and I had the San Remo cocktail. 
I believe it was a mixture of Four Roses, Campari, Carpano Antica, Saint Germain, and fresh orange juice. It was so good that we bought all the ingredients during lockdown and have made it a bunch of times at home. So here's to hoping to drinking more of these at actual bars again in 2021. Hi there. My name is Jeff Lichiardello, and I'm the director of marketing here at VinePair. The best thing I drank this year is less of a specific bottle or brand, but more of an experience I had earlier in the year. Back in February, I joined staff writer Tim McCurdy on a crawl tasting and ranking the best Cosmos from New York City bars featured in Sex and the City. As we hopped from bar to bar, waxing poetically on the balance of cranberry and citron vodka, I couldn't help but wonder, were we enjoying the bar crawl so much because of the ridiculous nature of it? Or did this experience represent exactly what this industry is about, exploring the world through the lens of drinks and making great memories with the amazing people you meet along the way? While times have certainly changed and the cosmos I make at home aren't quite the same, I look forward to when we can all be together again and enjoy comical but delicious bubblegum pink cocktails all night long. Hi, I'm Emma Cranston and I'm an editorial intern at VinePair. I tried a lot of phenomenal wines this year, but I have to admit that one of my favorite drinks of 2020 were the hard kombuchas by Local Roots. I was so surprised by how fresh they are, and they accomplish everything I no longer get from hard seltzer. They're really closer to a sour beer or saison, so I can't wait to enjoy them through the spring. If you haven't tried them yet, I seriously think they could be the next orange wine of 2021. Hey, this is Zach Jabal, co-host and producer of the Vine Pair Podcast. And my favorite thing I drank this year was a magnum of Pinot Gris from Alsace that my wife and I brought back uh, on our previous trip there. And well, I don't know if it was necessarily the absolute best thing I drank this year. It was my favorite just because of that connection to uh, a wonderful trip that we'd taken a couple of years prior, the experience of bringing a large bottle of wine back, and the fact that we did it at Thanksgiving with a very, very small gathering of immediate family uh, made it feel a little bit more festive and celebratory than pretty much anything in 2020 had any right to be. So while I certainly hope that in years to come, this end of year podcast features some more exciting travels and dramatic bottles of wine, beers, spirits, whatever, uh, in 2020, just something that felt like it connected to a a pre-pandemic time was a victory enough for me. Hi, I'm Erica Ducey, former editor-in-chief at VinePair. My favorite wine from 2020 was a white blend called Heart of Gold from Edmonds St. John. For the past 30 years, winemaker Steve Edmonds has quietly been making wine his way in Berkeley, California with fruit from the Sierra foothills. This wine tastes like beaming rays of sunlight with golden apricots and sea spray. No single bottle brought me more joy in 2020 and you can snag your own for under $25. Hey, this is Adam, uh, VinePair co-founder and CEO. I drank a lot of really great things this year. I mean, it was a weird year for me as it was for everyone else. Uh, I went through a lot of phases. I started the pandemic sort of, you know, really getting into making cocktails at home, made a lot of really amazing, uh, you know, martinis, especially with gins like Monkey 47 and uh, Kenobi. Then, you know, I got into a phase of daiquiris and fell in love with 10 to 1 and obviously, you know, turned to, you know, amazing rosés. And I also, you know, decided I should drink a lot of, uh, you know, just incredible wines I hadn't had in a long time, like Cogno Barolo and stuff like that. Um, And then, you know, I, I really 
turn back to beer is one of the things I was missing the the most in the pandemic is that draft beer and got to get reacquainted with with breweries I love in Brooklyn like Threes uh, and KCBC and things like that. So that was really a, a roundabout way of saying that I drank a lot of really great stuff this year. In a year that was hard, it's uh, you know it's hard to say there was one thing I drank that was better than anything else. I think what I'm, I'm most thankful for in this entire year is all of the incredible you know wine, beer, and spirits producers that just keep making delicious stuff that helped get me through the pandemic. Uh, so yeah, thanks to them. Cheers to everyone out there. And, and here's to a much better 2021. Oh, hey, Vine Pair podcast listeners. I didn't see you there. This is Kat Walensky, senior editor. And one of my favorite drinks in 2020 was Calavera, an imperial stout from Brown's Brewing Company in Troy, New York. I loved this beer because it really surprised me. It's aged with lots of tasty things like chili pepper and vanilla and cinnamon, and it's super smooth, and it's not barrel aged, and yet still tastes so rich and delicious. What I also loved about it is that it's a crowd pleaser. Every person I've introduced it to has loved it. It's also one of Vine Pair's 50 best beers of the year, so check it out. Wow, that was awesome. Hope that you enjoyed that as much as we did. Zach, it's been a crazy year, but I got to say, man, uh, you know, throughout this entire year, it's been just a real treat to to get to record this every single week with you. Uh, you've been an incredible co-host, and it's been just amazing to digest what's happening in a world that's been changing literally every single minute of the day. This has been one of the most challenging years I think any of us have gone through, but hopefully, you know, those of you that listen to the podcast have found value in in what we do, and I know Certainly for me, Zach, I found value in being able to to talk about everything with you. So thank you very much. Yeah, same here. And yeah, everyone listening, you know, we'll see you in, in 2021 for our predictions episode. Uh, and Zach's going to actually have a fun little uh, project for you after uh, the credits. So stay tuned and, and listen. If, if you're a diehard listener, you're going to hear what those instructions are. And uh, for everyone else, see you in 2021. And Zach, I'll see you next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced by myself and Zach Jabal. It is also mixed and edited by him. Yeah, Zach, we know you do a lot. I'd also like to thank the entire Vine Pair team, including my co-founder, Josh, and our associate editor, Kat Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for sticking around. We'd love to get the feedback of our dedicated, diehard Vinepair podcast listeners on what they think the trends of 2021 will be in the drinks world. And so if you can record a short audio file, either on your phone or computer, and send it to us, podcast at vinepair.com, we'd love to include it in next week's episode. Just please make sure to include your name, uh, your professional affiliations, if any, and uh, keep it to 30 to 60 seconds so that we can fit as many in as possible. Again, just give us a brief thought on what you think will happen in 2021 in the drinks world, and we'll add it to the podcast for next week. Thanks. Tequila Ocho is the world's first single estate tequila, growing and harvesting only the very ripest agaves from their family-owned fields in the highlands of Jalisco, one field harvested for each of their annual vintages. Where some take shortcuts, Ocho is made in the old-fashioned way and takes care to ensure maximum agave flavor in your glass. Every expression is certified 100% additive-free, underlining the purity and nobility of this magical tequila. Tequila.